Welcome to 360 Conversations Black History Month podcast takeover. I'm your host, Tammy Thomas, founder of the 360 brand. It's October, it's Black History Month here in the UK, and I decided to collaborate with some formidable women to honour black women in history and consider what their legacy means in terms of wellness today. I believe that it is our duty to honour the women that have gone before, paved the way and provided sturdy shoulders to lift us higher by exploring how we can alchemise their grit into grace. Today's podcast takeover comes from C. Olaleye, who is honouring Nigerian political trailblazer, Chief Mrs. Margaret Ekpo. If you don't know who she is, do your Googles. I have even hyperlinked some Googles for you in the show notes. Mrs. Margaret Ekpo is a true, or was, a true activist. Her work was for the emancipation of the Nigerian people. It was her mission to free Nigeria from colonial rule and to use her position in society to create opportunities for women in Nigeria to experience financial freedom. In terms of wellness, C refers to Mrs. Margaret Ekpo's sense of style and owning it. For C, this means embracing herself fully, from her natural hair to ensuring that she understands her cultural background and shares this with her children. Additionally, Chief Mrs. Margaret Ekpo's legacy inspires C to actively encourage her children to take up space and expand beyond the confines of other people's limitations. I really enjoyed this episode. And please, you will note that there is beautiful music at the beginning and the end of this episode. This was C's contribution. So if there are any copyright police that have an issue, please go and see my friend. Her links are in the show notes. (laughs) Enjoy this episode. I'm talking about Margaret Ekpo. That piece of music was a piece of epic music, which is um, a tribute, I guess, to Margaret, who was Igbo and epic in terms of her um, cultural background. Um, I, too, am Igbo, so I feel an affinity there. Um, We are both Nigerian women. She was born a little bit before me. Um, But I feel that she was one of the Nigerian women who I can absolutely look up to and point out as somebody for my girls to look up to as well. She was completely inspirational. She achieved so much in her life during a time when women, especially in Nigeria, were not supposed to be achieving those kinds of things. So Margaret has done incredibly well for women and people generally in Nigeria and across the world. Her legacy lives on. So Margaret Ekpo, who was she? Well, she was born in 1914 in Nigeria. She was... Uh, Throughout her life, a political agitator, she was a seamstress, 
She was a politician. She was a wife. She was a mother. She was somebody who wasn't willing to just sit back and let life wash over her. She wanted to do something about the inequalities that she saw in a Nigeria that was very much led by colonialist powers that she thought were not doing anything positive for the country. She wanted the Nigeria that she knew could rise up to rise up, to take control of its own politics and people and move forward in a positive direction. She wanted this, she worked towards it, and she helped it to happen. So Margaret was born in Cross River State in um, southern Nigeria. Her dad is the Igbo part of her heritage, um, and her mother is the Efik part. So her dad's from Anambra, was from Anambra, which is where I am from, actually. Um, so big up Anambra. Uh, so yeah, born into this family, she had a number of siblings. Um, she did um, well at school, but was unfortunately left to deal with the death of her dad um, quite early on in her life. And as a consequence, she couldn't go on to further education. So she started working in schools um, to kind of learn on the job as a teacher. She got married to her husband, John, um, and um, he was a doctor. So she lived as a doctor's wife um, from then on uh, for the rest of her life. So... Yeah, they had a nice little family set up, but she began to see um, a lot of the inequalities through her marriage to John. Um, he was practicing as a doctor alongside other individuals, some of whom were Nigerian, some of whom were um, British. And she saw, he saw the difference in treatment. So it, it was there that, I guess, the fire started um, and she realised that she had to do something about this inequality. So what did she do? Well, the family had the opportunity to um, go to Dublin in Ireland. And while she was there, she, she undertook a degree um, and came back to Nigeria to set up a domestic science and sewing institute for women. And obviously, this was a way to bring women into economic power, um, to allow women to develop a trade, to bring money into their households or to make money for themselves, to give them independence. So this was phase one, if you like. Alongside this, she started getting more and more involved in the political inequality that she saw taking place. So um, she um, was able to attend meetings um, where she 
she she made it known that she wasn't happy with the practices, the discriminatory practices that she saw taking place. And um, she she started the fight. So on the one hand, she was empowering women to take control of their finances, to become financially independent. On the other hand, she was tackling it from within, if you like, going into um, those political discussions and trying to create change, trying to change the structure um, of inequality that had been going on for so long. So she um, entered politics at that point. She was was very um, pivotal in organising a market women's association in the part of Nigeria that she lived in. And what this did was it was a kind of union for the market women. So she was able to, as part of that, take control of SALT in particular. And because she was able to do this, it in, in a time when there was a SALT scarcity, um, and, and this was a consequence of the war, so much, much there were lots of um, knock-on effects of World War II, not only in the UK, which is what we're taught, told about all the time, and um, in, in Europe, but in Africa as well, and in Nigeria. So there was a salt scarcity. She roused this group of market women, created an association, kind of trade union, and gave them the power to control the market. So um, businesses had to buy from them in order to, to get salt which, um, if you know anything about Nigerian cuisine, um, is uh, quite an important part. So Margaret was key in encouraging women to play their part in politics. Um, while she was fighting for their economic rights and, and helping to expand their political rights in terms of emancipation, she was allowing them to see that there were new possibilities. And the women's, um, the Market Women's Association became a big political force in that part of Nigeria. Massive political force, gained a lot of traction, um, so that at one point female voters out, actually outnumbered male voters. So women began to see that there were possibilities for them and that their votes counted and were meaningful. Margaret's activism led to her winning a seat in the Eastern Regional House of Assembly in the early 60s, and she used that seat to help to continue the fight for women's issues. But obviously there was opposition to her position, and she was imprisoned. She was a trailblazer. She was seeking to make a change, and that never comes easily. She suffered, um, but her suffering helped to pave the way for future women. Human rights moved on massively while she was involved in political activism, and for that, Nigeria is thankful. So much so that there is um, an airport named after her in Calabar. The Calabar International Airport is actually named Margaret Akpo Airport. 
So, yeah, you can see that she's left a legacy. Um, her other legacy is her style. This is a lady who, she she's obviously, um, she knew what style was. She embraced fashion, much like um, my good cousin, Chimamanda. She made sure that she looked the part, but she wasn't afraid of mixing Western fashion with traditional Nigerian fashion. She would have her hair plaited, she would wear a traditional dress, but she would often wear it with a twist. And she had the seamstress background, so obviously she could make a lot of her own clothes herself, and she did that. So she brought fashion to the fore. She showed that women could be taken seriously, but could also look good while doing it. They'll they didn't need to be a sacrifice of one thing for the other. And that's another reason why I, I really rate her as a female activist. She did so much for women. She did so much for people in general in Nigeria and across the world. And she did it with style. I think in terms of what I've learned from her and what it means for my own personal wellness. It would be that kind of constant fight for equality, especially gender equality in my case. Um, I've got two daughters. I don't want them to feel any less than any man. I want them to know that the limits are boundless for them. I want them to know that they don't need to give up on any of their hopes and dreams simply because they're women. Everything that's open to a man should be open to them. Hence, I've got a um, female footballer on my hands. But that's fine. Margaret, even though she had two sons, she imparted on them a worldview that men are no more important than women and that's been passed down to their children her grandchildren who have said in interviews how that's one of their lasting memories of their grandmother this um this equality that she was so passionate about so i raise my girls with that in mind it's very important to me obviously as black girls as well they need to know that they are worthy of every single one of the benefits that's afforded to anyone else. Their colour, their gender should not be a blocker to anything for them. I also take on this, um, this doing it with style that, that she embraced. Um, and... I, I like to think that I'm not afraid to take um, my heritage, my cultural background into the workplace with me. I've um, embraced the whole natural hair thing. I've been wearing my hair in natural styles for a number of years. I've, I've worn cane rows. I've had my hair out in an afro. I've had dreadlocks. I've, I've kind of done the whole braids thing. I've done everything with my hair. I've also done the relaxer, but that's a long time ago. But what I want to 
what I want to portray now is that I can be taken seriously as a professional woman while embracing my own natural state. I shouldn't have to tone myself down. I shouldn't have to eradicate every part of my Nigerianness in order to be accepted in the workplace. And I therefore make sure that I feel completely comfortable when I'm at work. And I'm hoping that when other women, maybe women of um, African heritage, see me, they challenge their own internal thought processes around what's acceptable in the workplace. I'd, I'd like to think that at least there is that. They may not feel completely comfortable with coming to work with their natural hair or with their hair in a a more traditional natural style. But I'd like to think that I'm at least challenging some of their preconceptions around what's acceptable in the workplace. And I'd like to think that Margaret's looking down on me, smiling as I do that. So Chief Mrs. Margaret Ekpo, thank you for your legacy. You will never be forgotten. Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.